What's up, everybody, and welcome back to Bikes and Big Ideas on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. And once again, we are broadcasting this episode from our home here in the Gunnison Valley of Colorado, and you should start making plans to come ride our vast network of trails here in Gunnison and Crested Butte, because maybe it'll play a role in changing the course of your life as it did for our guest today. I'm not even kidding. I learned this in this conversation. And speaking of our guest, that would be Kara Lynn. Now, Kara has recently signed with Cannondale. She has been on a really impressive trajectory in her mountain biking career, and she has an equally impressive and interesting backstory to boot. So we, of course, talk about all of that and more in another really fun conversation here on Bikes and Big Ideas. And if you haven't already done so, you really should subscribe to Bikes and Big Ideas because who of us doesn't need more fun conversations in our lives? So hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. And if you are already enjoying the show, then if you'd take just 30 seconds to leave us a quick rating or review in iTunes, we'd be happier than Kara being given a bucket full of mangoes. So please leave us that rating or review, and then let's go ahead and get to our conversation with Kara Lynn. Kara Lynn, how are you today and where are you today? Hi, how's it going? I am located in Ogden, Utah right now. I've actually been traveling around the country for the last six months. I've been on the road, probably different destination every week or two for the last six months. But uh, as of today, I'm back in Utah and I'm hopefully we'll be here for a little bit. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about this vagabond lifestyle of yours. This is kind of the opposite story of most people these days, right? Where everybody's like, oh, I've just been stuck at home. You are going the opposite way, it sounds like. Yeah, it's kind of a long story. I'm sure we'll get into it. But I yeah, I have a different way of living than most people, I would say. But essentially, with mountain biking, there's races all across the country. And so I don't really have a, a place that I call home yet. I don't pay rent anywhere. Uh, I travel around in my van and just visit all different people. Um, but Utah is my home base right now. So uh, that, that is where if I'm not traveling around, I try and spend as much time as I can in Utah. And like, why is that? Oh, everything about Utah. I love it. Yeah. The mountains and the people here are really cool. So it's, I grew up in a different, a completely different area, but now I call Utah my home. Okay. Well, among the many pressing things I need to ask you about today, maybe at the top of the list, we need to talk about mangoes. I just learned about an important new public service announcement that you shared with me, and I feel like I would now be remiss to not inform our Bikes and Big Ideas listener about the dangers of mango consumption. So what can you share with us about this? Well, there's this, no, it's not an epidemic yet, but it's called mango mouth. And everyone needs to be careful of this symptom that can occur to you if you have between 20 and 40 mangoes, which I have experienced many times in my life. And this happened to me just a couple, just a couple of days ago. I was talking to Jonathan earlier 
And I told him if he sees me licking his, my lip, lips a lot, it's because I had 30 mangoes last week. So um, basically there's some sort of chemical. It's, it's the same chemical that's in poison ivy is also on the skins of mangoes. Yeah. So if you, if you eat too many mangoes or if they're not ripe enough, uh, it, it just starts to degrade away the, the proteins and such on your, your lips and in your mouth. Just like when you eat too much pineapple, which I don't know if you experienced that or kiwis, which that happens to me with kiwis as well, because sometimes I eat the whole box. Okay. So this is what we've established about you so far in like the first, you know, four minutes here. You have a vagabond lifestyle and you have a mango addiction. <laughs> mango, kiwi, pineapple, all the things that cause me pain. <laughs> and do kiwi and pineapple, they have that same poison ivy thing going on? No, yeah, good question. It's a little different. Pineapple has something called bromelain, and it just eats away at the proteins inside your mouth. And so a lot of times if people eat a whole pineapple in the city, their, their mouth will be raw. And then kiwi, I'm not really sure what it is in kiwi, but it's something similar. It's this chemical that kiwis and all different plants use to protect themselves in the environment. Uh, that's, that's what's happening inside your mouth. So if you eat too many of them, it's, it's just trying to protect itself. So um, kiwis, for whatever reason, they make my lips bleed. <laughs> but again, most people don't discover this because they only eat one or two in a sitting and uh, I'll sit down with the whole box. Does like the American Medical Association recognize like citrus addiction as like an actual addiction? <laughs> if so, I definitely have it. Okay. Guilty. Citrus addiction. I mean, I kind of feel like if you just eat too much of anything at a certain point, eventually, yeah, lips will get chapped or... Yeah, exactly. Seems like that moderation thing generally tends to be true. <laughs> Are you generally not good at moderation? Is that like, you know, some people it's not a strong suit. Are you, would you say you're good at moderation in general or that's not your jam? Pretty, pretty poor. Pretty poor. Okay. Yes. I'm a dietitian too. So you think that I would be good at that, but uh, no, it's not true at all. Should we talk about some of the other areas of your life where you're bad at moderation? I like to ride my bike a little bit too much. I don't take any days off. <laughs> Feel a little extreme with that. That seems to be, I think that's a good trait though, right? So maybe the way we put it is it's since it seems like not quite the opposite, even though it kind of is, I should say for the record, wouldn't it be the case that the most interesting people in the world by definition are not good at moderation? Like which is to say they are obsessive. Is it possible to be really interesting and not be obsessive? Yeah, that seems to make sense to me. Also, by any chance, are you, do you have a history in sociology or psychology? Seems like you seem experienced in this field. No, I have a background in philosophy and that I got obsessive about, but I'm just saying it's so it's okay. It's there's no, this is a judgment free zone, except that it's weird how addicted to mangoes you are. I think I will judge you about that, but we're just having a conversation about moderation and versus obsessive personalities. And I think we just arrived at a place where we're like, yeah, probably to actually be an interesting person, probably not that many incredibly interesting people would list moderation as their number one attribute. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think we're on to something. Okay. 
I'm glad we got there. From vagabond lifestyle to mango mouth to figuring out what makes people interesting. So I think we're doing strong work here in the first, the first minutes of this conversation. We are here to talk a little bit about bikes, though. And so let's do it this way. I want to have you talk about your current situation, current interests with mountain biking, and then we're going to go all the way back as we like to do and figure out how you got here. So what are you up to these days? Awesome. Yeah. So starting the 2021 season, I'm riding for Cannondale and SRAM, RockShox, Maxis, a couple other companies, and I'm specifically focusing on enduro. So enduro mountain biking. And um, I'm living in Ogden, Utah primarily, but as mentioned before, kind of travel around in my van to all different race venues across the country. And we should say there's been a bit of this, I guess we would officially call it a transition from DH to enduro. Do you accept my explanation of things so far? Yes. I'm definitely open to still racing downhill, but uh, yeah, I would say this year I'm switching over primarily to enduro mountain biking. So, um, yeah, let's just go with that. (laughs) Okay. Well, but we're here to get the real story. So, and I mean, like, this is part of the reason I wanted to talk to you is like, you were doing pretty well on the DH side of things. So I'm like, okay, this is just an interesting bit of a change. And so I figured it was either just like, eh, this is where my interests are going, or it was a number of factors that had you thinking more about enduro for the moment. And, you know, cool thing about life, you can bounce around, you can do whatever you want. But let's talk a little bit about that. I mean, the DH side of things sort of versus enduro from your own interest level. Okay. So I would first say the last couple of years I've been in an experimenting phase um, just get being new to mountain biking. So I tested out downhill, loved every bit of it. And then just as kind of diversify myself, I wanted to look into enduro and make myself more well-rounded. So last year I decided to focus both or sign up for any downhill or any enduro I could really find in the country. And so that, that was my plan for last year and kind of switch focuses a bit Um, Instead of spending all my time at downhill parks, just doing laps on the lifts, put a little bit more time pedaling up the mountain and focus on endurance and getting more fit for, for enduro. So, yeah. So I guess fast forward to 2021 signing with Cannondale. That was part of the reason why I'm even more focused on enduro and also just loving the races, the enduro races I did last year. I feel like there's, I guess, more of a future for me there. And I, I just love everything about enduro. All right. Now we need to figure out how you got to this point in time. So that means we need to go back to talking about where you grew up and what you were into as a kid. Okay. So I grew up in Iowa and that's in the middle of the United States. I've heard of it. (laughs) It's a lot of corn there and not a lot of mountains. I think the, the closest mountain is maybe 10, 12, 12 hours, just right outside of Denver. But anyway, uh, so I would say I played the traditional Midwest boy sports, baseball, tackle football, grew up playing soccer, basketball, volleyball, pretty much every ball sport and carried a number of those through 
through uh, high school. I, I gave up tackle football eventually. My parents weren't extremely stoked about me being the only girl in that sport or baseball. Um, but anyway, so by my finishing up high school, I just played soccer and cross country. By the way, let me just interrupt. That's quite a thing, like tackle football and cross country. <laughs> that I didn't do both of those at the same time. But when I was just growing up, I was a tomboy and spent all my time at recess playing football with the, the with all the boys. And so I signed up for baseball. I think I played baseball. I was the only girl in the league until I think it was seventh grade, sixth or seventh grade. And then football, I just played tackle football for one year. Of like what grade? I was, I think it was sixth, sixth grade. So it was still like peewee, but yeah, it was definitely something I'm kind of, I, it was a lot of fun for me. I'm definitely kind of, I guess you could say proud of that. Nice. You should be. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, then as I just through high school, I played basketball, volleyball, and then cross country and soccer and finished out with just soccer. So I quit all the other ones. <laughs> <laughs> okay so just to make sure i'm tracking by the end of high school you are now you know a student but a soccer player that's the only sport you are now playing soccer and cross country ended up being the the two sports i finished with in soccer in my senior year of high school which were you better at oh definitely soccer soccer was my primary sport all growing up. And that's the one I traveled around the country, uh, not the country, but I did traveling soccer and um, spent most of my summers uh, yeah, playing soccer and being on a number of teams. And um, I do want to say, although I played all these different ball sports, that wasn't, I wouldn't say those were where my interests were. Uh, for a short period of time, my family had a boat. And so I became pretty obsessed with wakeboarding and then also I had uh, a dirt bike for just a couple of years and again, got obsessed with dirt biking. And so although I was playing soccer and football and all these other sports, I just, I had dreams of being a professional dirt biker or, or wakeboarder, all those sort of things, even though my parents eventually got rid of those tools, you know, the boat and the dirt bike. So I, there was no way for me to ever, move forward in those sports, but that's definitely where my interests lay. Got it. This is just making me think about the fact I used to date somebody who always would refer to these as pedal bikes, which I, it was a phrase I'd never heard in my life. But since you brought up dirt bikes, I was going to about to ask you like, well, when did you get your first pedal bike? And that kind of brought me back because uh, yeah, this person was also from the Midwest, where I think she was surrounded by far more dirt bikes than pedal bikes, as as we called them. So were you around gasoline bikes first, or when did you start getting into, you know, pedal bikes? So I wasn't really around any of that. I mean, of course, I had a bike growing up, but uh, just like a little kid's bike that we'd use to ride to the nearest Dairy Queen or, or whatever. Um, but... I didn't grow up in that scene, grew up playing all the other sports. And so it was kind of, I, I don't even know how my family got like my, my dad, for whatever reason, bought ATVs for both my brothers so they could have some sort of bonding activity to do together. And 
the the boys didn't really ride the ATVs and I would sit on the ATV every day and beg my dad to take me out. And so eventually he switched the ATVs over for two little dirt bikes for me and my sister. So I had a 70, like an XR 70, and I was absolutely obsessed. Um, he never, he never really wanted to make time for it. So I just sat in the garage and I mean, that's not fair. He had a full-time job and had plenty other things that he wanted to do instead. But um, I, that definitely is where my interest sparked with action sports and those sort of adrenaline in my mind, the more fun sports. <laughs> All right. Great background. You wrap up high school and then you go on to college where you seemingly tried to go to all of the colleges. <laughs> is that is that how that went? That's completely true. Yes, just tested tested every college I could. Yeah, there's a bunch of them. All right, so as mentioned, I grew up playing a lot of sports. And for whatever reason, I decided my first year of college to not play a sport. So I don't know if I wanted a break or what the reason was, but I went to the University of Nebraska and was just a, a normal college student. And after a year and a half there, I decided that that was not right for me. I was, I guess I just wanted to compete and improve myself and keep working on some sort of sport. So I transferred schools and uh, so I could play soccer. And so I played soccer for two years and uh, I'd say this was like the perfect setup for me. We got to travel all, all around the country, competed in, got to go to the national tournament. And we even went to Italy for, it was like a summer trip to Italy. We traveled around the whole country and played against their professional teams there. And so that was a really cool experience for me. But then outside of school, I... Uh, decided that I wasn't in the right major and I got really interested in nutrition and decided that I wanted to become a registered dietitian. And so the school that I was at, that I was playing soccer at, they didn't have any sort of program to become a registered dietitian. There's only a number of schools you can do that or study that. So I had to transfer again. So moving on to school three, are you going to tell us what these schools were? Are you trying to, would you rather not? Oh, no, I'm sorry. So the first one was University of Nebraska in Lincoln. The second one is it's Augustana College. So this is a D3. I decided to play D3 soccer, which was perfect for me because I actually looked into playing. I was going to walk on at University of Nebraska. I was connected to the coach and was going to follow through with that. But I decided D3 was going to be the best option for me because I could I, as mentioned before, like I love soccer, but I wasn't completely obsessed with it. It wasn't my life. So, so anyway, transferred to Augustana college. And so they, they didn't have nutrition as it's a smaller school. And so the school number three, I transferred to Iowa state university. Yeah. And so at this school, getting back to my obsession with wakeboarding, I saw that they had a water ski team. And so I wasn't recruited to this team by any means, but I joined the water ski team as um, an inexperienced water skier. It's called three event water skiing. There's slalom, jump, and trick. Uh, you travel around all um, around the whole, whole country. You camp in tents and you just compete compete on the lake every weekend. And so that was that was my last two years of college is competing in water skiing three event water skiing 
I'm still like 80% sure you just are making this up to mess with me. But it's way cooler, actually, when you're like slalom, jump, and trick. Like that sounds way more badass than three event water skiing, which just sounds like a thing that isn't a thing. But it's like, what do you do? I, I, I trick. Is that what you'd say? You know, I slalom, but I mostly trick. Trickster, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I didn't know about it either. Of course, I knew what slalom was but and wakeboarding, but I didn't know of the actual body, the sport body. Uh, it's more of an old school sport. Rank the events, the three events in terms of your favorite and rank what you were best at to worst at of slalom, jump, and trick. Jump, 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 jump. You're all about the jump. <laughs> yeah, because, I, okay, I love slalom, but to jump in at 23 years old and learn how to slalom ski. And so you do the, the course, there's eight, there's six or eight balls. I can't even remember now, but you do a course, you, you go through it as fast as you can. And then trick is similar. You have to have a lot of experience, probably grow up on a lake and you have 20 seconds to perform as many tricks as you can. And your, your ski is a little bit shorter than a slalom ski. And it has no fin on it. So it's kind of like a small wakeboard, but it has no fin. So it's really slippery on the water. And so we'd go to competitions and people would pull out eight. They In 20 seconds, they'd do eight different flips in 20 seconds. And so, again, that is something I couldn't really compete at, at a very high level, just learning it that year. That's too many fast flips. That seems wrong. It was wild. But so then jump was more down my alley because I guess you can kind of just turn off your brain and go as fast as you can over a jump and see how far you can go. It's just about distance. Yeah. <laughs> it's the long jump, but on water skis. It is. You've seen the Olympics. Um, what is that? What's the jump event in the Olympics? Glissade. Is that what it's called? Oh, okay. Well, it's essentially that, but in water. And it's a little bit gnarlier. I don't want to say it's gnarlier because I've never done the other one, but you cut at the ramp as fast as you can and you hit the ramp at the leap, like the last second possible and you just soar off of it. And there's people who jump 200, I think 300 feet in our world and competing in college level. It was, so I think my record was 70 feet. And so the, the, the surface is really slippery and your skis are, I think they're like eight feet long. And so as soon as you hit, like the first time I ever hit it, it was the first day in practice. They're like, all right, Kara, like you want to try jumping? I'm like, all right, sounds good. Put on the skis and just hit the surface. And it was like hitting an ice rink. And I just totally like tomahawked in the air. Tomahawked in the air or once you hit the water? I think I did a good half flip in the air. Okay, but by definition... By the way, I think I was wrong. I was looking it up while we were talking. I think I was wrong about glissade. Um, it's just called ski jumping. So I, I minus one for me on that. But a tomahawk, by definition, is more is more than one flip. How about yard sale? Like so, right when I hit the water, I do like half a flip, land on my back or neck or something, and then just skis fly everywhere. That's good yard sale. Yeah, we give you that. I think I was really wrong about the whole glissade thing, which you were you were you were on that right away. What is glissade? Yeah, I didn't want to make you feel bad. Well, it's too late. 
Oh, glissading. No, that's just running. Like that's like runners glissade. Like they'll just start down a peak, you know, like if they're doing a summit run and they'll kind of just like slide down in their shoes on their shoes down the mountain. I think that's where we are. You were way off. Pretty way off. Yeah. Yeah. It's the first time that's ever happened to me in any conversation where I've been super way off. So here's where we are. You played all the sports and tried to go to all the colleges. At what point did you start riding a bicycle? Was this like a week ago? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So let's see. At this point in my life, I'm probably 23 years old, graduating from Iowa State. And our last tournament for water skiing, it was the national all-star event or something like that. And I got invited to compete for jump. So me and a couple other um, guys from our team competed for team Midwest. And we traveled, we did did this big road trip all the way up to Blaine, Washington, which is in the farthest corner in Washington. And yeah, we drove from Iowa all the way up there. And one of my buddies on the team, he grew up in Minnesota and he had a mountain bike, I guess. I had never heard of this sport before. Of course I knew like road biking, all that sort of stuff, but he brought this mountain bike on the trip. I'm pretty sure it was more like a bike path mountain bike anyway. And took it, we went hiking one day and I just borrowed his bike and tested it out and was completely obsessed. My first reaction when I jumped on the bike and started to go down this trail, I was like, this is like dirt biking. I was yeah, stoked because I guess in my mind, I figured that this was actually a sport I could afford and maybe I could do it back in Iowa. So anyway, I was hooked that whole trip. I rode his bike. Anytime they would go hiking, I would take the little bike out and, and try, try mountain biking. And so I just, after that trip, go back to Iowa, start my first job and I needed something else to compete in. So after that first year of college, I realized that I always need something to kind of work on and something to compete in. So I decided to buy a mountain bike, figured couldn't afford a boat. So I couldn't continue skiing anymore. It's pretty expensive and was not interested in soccer anymore. I was pretty burned out in soccer and didn't really want to be like waddling around in the soccer field. I don't know. It just, it did not, did not seem like a sport that you want to do when you're 40 or 50. So I was looking for a new sport to try. And so with my recent trip to Washington, I figured mountain biking could be the one. So I bought a, like a $500 mountain bike and just started riding around the local. I found a couple different trails within our town, the town in Iowa. And uh, yeah, just started riding every day. What year is this just to keep the timelines straight? Yeah. So this is 2017. I got my first mountain bike. So I bought, yeah, like this $500 hardtail mountain bike. 2017 you come a long way <laughs> i'm just sorry i just started to laugh because i i'm thinking of some videos i saw myself in, in 2017 on that on that green bike that i had and it's it's pretty funny were you trying to like long jump it <laughs> actually yeah so there was this there was so we our lo- the local trail system i think it was five miles across country trail and this is the one i would go to like every couple days and and there was a black loop which is Actually, I think it was double black, which is not real at all. Like it maybe like this is Iowa double black. So maybe like 
a mix between a green and green and a blue. But anyway, there's like this little gap jump and it's probably like a three foot gap. And it was like a wooden launch and then a dirt landing. And this is probably like just a couple weeks into riding the bike. And of course just wanted to try everything I could and uh, had no business being on, but I thought I have a video of myself since sending it over that jump. And it's so funny. Cause I'm like, I'm pedaling. I'm pretty sure in first gear, like down a hill. And so just spinning super fast. I have a camelback on my back, like this big camelback backpack. I have Lycra on and reflectors on my bike and I case the jump like so bad. So I didn't even get, like, I didn't even lift off at all. Pretty <laughs> much just like went like as soon as my tires left the ramp just went straight down and case the jump and I like I I pedal out of it and I just like put my arms up in the air and I was like woo I'm so pumped <laughs> That's fantastic. So pathetic, yeah. I love it. So were you like, oh, jumping bikes is way different than hitting jumps on water skis or were you like there's actually a lot more sort of similarities here than one may have imagined yeah so i would say later on i discovered that when i actually hit real jumps that weren't like two feet little booters yeah I, there's a lot of similarities and i would say water ski jumping actually helped me out a lot with that but um, at first i didn't really see the parallel i had a conversation pretty recently where we were talking about all of the mountain bike systems and trails being built up around Minnesota. So it's just kind of cool to now we're talking about some of the, I mean, you haven't said how amazing the trails were then, or maybe are now, or how much trail development is going on around Iowa, but I still kind of am getting the sense like this sport is very much expanding and trail systems are like certainly becoming more of a thing as opposed to like less of a thing. And that seems like a good trend. Yeah, definitely. We had, we had a number of trail system just in our town. So I'm from the quad cities. It's four different cities that are kind of all connected. They straddle the Mississippi river and we had, I think 30 miles of trail in the whole quad cities. So that's pretty good for just a random Midwest area. And they did a really good job maintaining the trails there. But like you said, I've heard of different trail builders and companies building all across the Midwest. So Missouri, Minnesota, you know, we've all heard about Bentonville, Arkansas, some places that aren't traditionally big mountains. They still do a really good job developing the Midwest. Yeah. Okay. So we got you, you're jumping your green bike, making sick videos of jumping on what we're now going to call Iowa double black jumps and then what where does the story go from there yeah so that first year um i guess you could say i got pretty addicted to it and i just started signing up for every little local cross-country races i could and i found there was a series of cross-country races and signed up for those and i even traveled to upper peninsula in michigan and competed in an enduro there and then I took a trip to Crested Butte that same year. So just learning about the, learning about the different, I guess, disciplines in mountain biking. I didn't realize. So there's cross country, there's kind of enduro or like all mountain, and then there's downhill. And so right away I discovered 
um, you know, I was obviously like drawn more to the jumps and more of the adrenaline part of the sport. So I wanted to take a trip to the mountains and see what, see what else was out there. So, so outer bike was, was in, um, they were doing a little event in Crested Butte. So I thought this was a good chance for me to, uh, me and a couple friends, we drove out there and we got to rent different bikes because our bikes weren't suitable for the mountains at all. So, so we went out and rode three or four days at the downhill park there on the, on the nice bikes on the nice demo bikes. So that was my first experience in the mountains. And that's kind of where it all started for me, I guess. That's amazing. What a great story. I mean, that's fully in our stomping grounds right here. I didn't know this. So what year was that outer bike? Okay. So this was 2017 outer bike. I probably was at that outer bike. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. It's great. I've told people this story before and I've had a lot of friends that were either, they were renting out bikes, working for different bike companies and they said they were there too. So it's, it's kind of crazy now. I love Crested View, by the way. Well, you got to come back and see us. <laughs> I will. That's amazing. So your first bike park, your first lift access riding was right here. Well, have you been back? I mean, have you ridden any of the trails around here or have you kept it in the bike park? Mostly in the bike park. I, actually, I did compete in an enduro, I think in 2018, the big mountain enduro at Crested Butte. That was more of a backcountry one. It wasn't at the bike park. Yeah. But yeah, oh, no, and I've, I've ridden there a number of times just passing through. Nice. Excellent. Well, cool that you're familiar with our little corner of the world. Yeah, I'm a fan. Okay, so you, you're at Outer Bike. You're riding your first bike park in 2017. This is still wild just because of how soon that was or how recent that was to where you are today. And uh, so keep walking us through. Yeah, I was uh, absolutely addicted, like obsessed. So I was there with a, a number of friends and we were all beginners, definitely beginners. And I remember like halfway down the mountain, they'd like stop to rest their hands or chat. And I was like, Oh, nope. See you guys. Like I just fast laps all day. Like, this is my chance. Like I just dream about getting to ride downhill for the first time. This was my chance. So I just did as many laps as I could. And it's funny because, so I think it was the last day there was a girl there that was all kitted out. And so I was like, Oh, this must be like a professional mountain biker. So of course I was intrigued and, uh, jumped on a lift with her and talked to her the whole way up. And she was telling me about her sponsors and racing. She told me about this pro GRT series that she races. And of course I didn't know really anything about the downhill world. And so I jumped in, she, she went down a trail. So I jumped in right behind her and, uh, followed her down the trail. And I just remember the whole time being like, Oh my gosh, like I'm, I'm like kind of close to her. Like, this is so cool. And she definitely dropped me in more like the technical, I think, you probably even know the trail is a black trail. Avery. Yes. Is it Avery? It's one of my, I was praying you were going to say that Avery. <laughs> Avery is kind of my personal favorite run on the mountain. And so even like I, I actually pedal up and ride that, that run all like that's kind of my go-to daily ride. Like after the park closes, you are earning a lot of points right now. You are earning a lot of points but she, I, you probably remember, I just remember some sort of a rock garden in the middle of it. And I remember she, she dropped me more on that. And then I, 
pedaled as hard as I could, caught up to her. And there was jumps at the bottom. There was a set of like five or six jumps. And mind you, this is the first time I've ever seen like real jumps before. Cause like I said, all we had was that three foot little kicker in Iowa. But, um, I like would, I would go over the jumps. I'm pretty sure I land like halfway or three fourths across the table and it was not pretty at all, but she was kind of doing the same thing. I don't know if she was like squashing them or what. Um, but just following her through there, I got down to the bottom and I was like, Oh my gosh, like this, like this girl's a professional. Like maybe, maybe one day, like I could move to the mountains and I could work towards racing just for fun. Like just as a personal goal. And so that, that really sticks out in my mind. It's like that moment that I was like, I like, I really want to move to the mountains and, and race downhill. I wasn't that interested in cross country. I knew because in every cross country race I had done, uh, people would catch me on the uphill and then I'd catch them back on the downhill. So I still feel like you're completely messing with me in this interview because first of all, I'm pretty sure you invented this, uh, three event water ski thing i'm pretty sure that's fake and then you're like and then what i'm gonna do is tell him about how my mountain biking career basically got started on his favorite run on the mountain <laughs> his go-to daily ride and i'm like this is and then we're just gonna get done in you know 20 minutes here and you're gonna be like nah psych i was making all that up <laughs> no it's true story i have another funny story about a couple other trails there if you want me to share just i'll just share one okay okay so this is like classic me like start out probably with like a green or a blue where i belonged and then sec like second trail i'm like oh avery black third trail double black and so this is like probably the first day I'm like, I just really want to try one of those double black trails. And I can see it's the one that goes underneath the lift with all the, the wood on it. Psycho rocks. Psycho rocks. Yeah. Okay. So I, so my friends weren't interested at all in trying it. And I, so I didn't own knee pads. I didn't own a full face, didn't own anything. Like I complete Jerry and no business, even, even being like downhilling at this park. And so I, I, um, went on the adventure on my own and I pretty sure I fell underneath the lift where everyone was watching like on those wooden ramps and I somehow made it down. But if there's anything I could do, it's definitely like either be sitting on top of that lift, watching 25 year old Carol try, try out downhill mountain biking, or if there's a video of me or something, oh man, I would love to see that. <laughs> Props to you though. I mean, that's, uh. You were, you were game to try that, that ride is still, that'll get you. That'll get you. Yeah. I'm interested to see what it's like now because I remember dropping into that one and there was like Captain Jack's. I did both. Captain Jack's. Yep. I think it was Captain Jack's was maybe the first one I did. And I just remember thinking like, holy cow, this is not, a, this is not possible to ride. It's so steep. Yeah. And that's all my memory was just like super steep rocks. And so now I'm just interested to see what I would think of it now. Yeah. I'm sure it's like any other downhill course we race. Well, now I would be curious, like, cause if you're like, oh yeah, I mean, when you're racing at the level you're racing at, if Captain Jack's now f still feels significant or if you're like, n you know, no, like the kind of DH courses you're used to, if that's just a whole nother level. I mean, I don't think Captain Jacks is a joke, but I'm not I'm not riding at your level. Any trail, even a green trail can be 
hard you know you always you always push it to your as fast as you can so well you'll have to come back i will i would love to Okay, so you're lying about this part about how Avery, my favorite run, got you into your whole career trajectory. So thank you for patronizing me with that. But I still don't know how quickly, I mean, like, there's the part where, like, an accelerator is about to get hit here with you. Like, very quickly here, we're going to be caught up to the present. (laughs) So... I'm still kind of uh, surprised about this this trajectory you're on. Yeah, so I would say I definitely caught the bug right there. Or a seed was planted of moving out to the mountains and doing something else with my life. So I was working as a private practice dietitian in Iowa. So I had my own little practice. And I, I guess throughout the winter, I just thought about moving and just decided to close up shop and move to the mountains the next year. So, so 2018 just decided to leave my job in Iowa and I packed up a Toyota Highlander and moved to the mountains. And then started racing. Yeah. So first, I guess, typical like vagabond has, it's been a, a theme throughout my life. Yeah. So I, I think my job, I, I found a job, a remote job, a nutrition remote job, and also a nanny gig where I could live in the family's basement in, in park city, Utah, or just right outside of park city, Utah. So I guess over the winter, I was researching all the places I wanted to live and I picked Utah. And so I found these jobs and when it was time to move in June, I think packed up the, the Highlander. And I spent a month just living out of that, the Highlander, uh, traveling to different places. I actually spent a week or two in Crested Butte and went to Moab, tried the portal trail in Moab and a couple other destinations along the way. And then it was the first day in Utah. I think it was like June 4th was the first Utah downhill series race. And so of course, throughout that last winter, I did a lot of preparing and I knew that there was a series in Utah that I could race a downhill series. And I knew that there was the big mountain enduro was kind of in that area too. So I had planned for that first day moving to Utah that would try a downhill race. It's, it's kind of embarrassing now to say, but I'll explain. So I signed up for pro. I had no business being in pro at all, but my thinking was that there was four races and throughout the year, um, I would, I was hoping I'd make a lot of improvements, you know, first time, like being in the mountains, riding at a bike park, like having time on the bike. And I had just gotten like my first real bike too. It was a specialized enduro. So it was like a longer travel. It wasn't a hard tail, whatever. So I knew I was going to make improvements. So I signed up for pro and just, just in hopes, you know, first race, maybe I'd get fifth. And then by the end of the season, I could do well in the series. And so anyway, I show up to the race and I don't know how to work on my bike. I don't know anything about my bike. Like I mentioned, I I think by that time I had knee pads, but I didn't have goggles. I didn't have, I bought a full face on Amazon. Like the, I think it was like a $60 full face helmet. And I'm trying to like ride my bike down this like first downhill trail, downhill race. And I'm in the parking lot and I see, I'm scoping out like all the other girls and I'm like, Oh my gosh, there's this girl. Like she looks she looked like really professional. She was matching and she was working on her bike in the, in the parking lot. I'm like, Oh my gosh, like this girl is going to destroy me. Like 
I mean, that's fine, but I'm like, well, welcome to the mountains. Like these girls actually like know how to ride a bike. So this will be interesting. And so I talked to her and like, Hey, like what, what category are you in? She's like a category two. I was like, oh no, <laughs> I'm, I'm in so much trouble. Like I avoided, avoided telling her which category I signed up for because yeah, I looked like a total Jerry and it was so embarrassed. So I went home after that first day of practice and emailed the race organizers. <laughs> and I was like, can you move me out of pro class? Like, I think it was an accident or something. Like, Typo. I should, I should be in cat two. <laughs> like probably cat three, honestly. So anyway, I didn't get an email back from them. So I show up for day two practice, practice. And then the race, uh, I think there was six girls in the race and in pro. And then there was a number in cat, like a number of girls in cat one and a number of girls in cat two. But in my category, um, again, figured I was probably going to get last place. I did my research on the girls because you could see who registered so I checked out all the girls and one of them looked like she had done a number of seasons racing pro GRTs. Uh, she lived out of her van and, and she had her own website for herself. And, um, another girl was a coach in the area and she was like a veteran had won a bunch of races. So I was, Oh man, I was so nervous for this. I was like, what did I get myself into? It's just so embarrassing. Um, but anyway, I, somehow won that race. <laughs> I was starting to hope that's what we were building toward. Yeah. And I, <laughs> you somehow won. Go on. We don't like false humility here. So that's a, this is a, it's a no, it's a judgment free zone on this podcast, but it is, we judge false humility. All right. So, you know, this, we just want to hear how this went, you know, and how you somehow won, et cetera. So tell us like it was. I don't know what happened if everyone else fell and somehow I just made it down. No, no to, to be honest, I think I just, I practiced as much as I could. I knew that's something I don't, maybe that's something I'm obsessive at is like over practicing and being prepared. Like I researched the girls, I researched the girls that I was racing against. I showed up like first one on the, on the lift. I always am like first one and would do as many runs as I could. So anyway, I definitely put in the time and, um, I think day two or day two of practice, I bought goggles. So I went to the gift shop and bought goggles and I learned about, yeah, Utah dust. Like it was absolutely insane. I'd follow people and just be completely clouded out. If anyone's raced Sundance, they know how bad the dust is there. And just to think that I did two days of practice with that is, is pretty funny. But anyway, yeah. So I won that race and was shocked and confused. And that's again, a moment where I was like, Oh my gosh, like, that maybe this could be something like if I keep practicing, maybe I could do like a pro GRT one day. I love it. And I like the part where you bought goggles. Cause that's when I feel like you really became a pro. <laughs> that's when it really, <laughs> that's when it really happened for you. Yeah. It's not even day one. Like it took me a little bit to realize like, Oh, there's, I can't see halfway down the trail. Maybe I should buy goggles. <laughs> okay. So here's where we are in the story. First of all, you, bought your first pair of goggles so you're a true professional and you just the the cherry on top of the sunday was then you actually won your pro race so that made it even more official than just owning the goggles this was a pretty good race for you you got the goggle part down you actually won the race your world is right so so then where do we go i finished out that year i did a couple more downhill races for 
as part of the Utah downhill series. And then I tested out two Enduros and unfortunately that season ended a little early because I broke my wrist doing something that I didn't not belong. Like again, uh, trying something that was way over my limits that I had no reason experimenting with. And I broke my wrist, <laughs> had to get surgery. And so I was out for the rest of the season. Okay. And then similar story in 2019. <laughs> the trend is, is uh, done after 2019 though. But for 2019, I, I guess I wanted to bump it up to the next level and try out a pro GRT. So uh, the first race of the year was in March and I traveled to Tennessee, Windrock, Tennessee, and I finished, I got fifth place at the pro GRT. So that was a, uh, I was pretty excited about that finish. They had is extremely gnarly course. And I actually had a, re, a downhill bike this season. So that was my first race on a downhill bike. Um, after coming, coming back from that injury, I had to get a scaphoid surgery or surgery on my scaphoid. And then, um, so I got fifth place at that race and raced, I don't know, three or four other downhill races. And then I broke my collarbone at national champs. I think that was maybe August ended the season again in August. And yeah, spent the, spent the winter recovering. And then should I keep going with my story? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sort of now wondering, like you haven't one time ever in this conversation mentioned the word breaks. So I'm like, I, she knows that the, there's these things called stoppers because <laughs> all I'm hearing about is all these crashes. And it's like, maybe, I mean, this story, this has gone so quickly that I'm like, maybe she doesn't know what those things do. And that's why she either wins or breaks a collarbone. <laughs> yeah. Checkers or records. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was, I guess a bit fearless, but now I look back and it's just reckless. Like I didn't, I didn't know my limits at all. I was willing to do anything. If I saw anyone else try it, I would try it and did not know how to use my brakes very well. Still learning, you know, <laughs> but yeah, that's, uh, I mean, honestly, breaking, breaking those bones, the first, really my first two years, like kind of out West, really mountain biking, I think taught me a lot and just taught me to slow down a bit and focus more on the basics. And instead of, I mean, obviously I moved to Utah, just started right out with downhill, never really spent much time with cross country road bike, any of that sort of stuff. And then just first race downhill. So I'm now kind of backtracking and focusing more on the basics and not trying to just, I don't know, prove to myself or prove to other people that it can do a big gap or a big drop on the trail. Cause I'm learning that that slows you down even more. <laughs> Such an interesting story and trajectory. Where are we in the narrative? Um, so I broke my collarbone at national champion ch champs and then spent, spent the next couple months rehabbing and, uh, just decided to, so I actually asked my parents if I could borrow their minivan. So I was living in Utah and I decided to ask them if I could borrow their minivan and uh, spend the winter in California training on the bike, because obviously in Utah, it's snowy. You can't spend much time. So at this point, I realized that that's all I really want to do is just get better at mountain biking and see if I can become pro, like really pro. 
And I knew that I needed to spend the winter out somewhere warm and actually spend more time on the bike. And like I mentioned, learn more of those basics and kind of slow down a bit and figure everything out. So my parents were fine. They, they let me borrow their minivan and I spent the next, well, I plan on just spending a, a couple months in the minivan in California. And I actually lived in it for a full year. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> just living that minivan life crushing mangoes toyota sienna yep <laughs> mango mango mouth and the toyota sienna yep but it was good because so i had a remote job on the side with nutrition and then i would just spend as much time outside as i can and this year so this would be 2020 so this is when covid uh, is kind of kicking in and i wanted to try out enduro I dipped my toes in like very little at the, at the beginning. Uh, but I wanted to, I guess, my, make myself more well-rounded and try out some enduro races and, and also downhill. So my goal for 2012 was just to sign up for as many races as I could just to get as much experience. And so I just, so that's why I went to California because they have a winter series there and they have a winter downhill series and they have in Vegas, there's a winter downhill series too. It's called bootleg. And so before, I think before March, before COVID even happens, I already had like six or seven races like under my belt. So it was a really good start to 2020. And then 2020 got weird. Yeah, it got weird, but yeah, I still was able to sign up and compete in a number of races and still spent all my time on the bike because as you know, we could, we could still be outside and COVID didn't affect me as much as it did for a lot of other people because I had a remote job and yeah, I would just bike alone anyway outside. So how's 2021 going? I mean, you've signed with Cannondale. Is your 2021 looking kind of lined out in terms of events and the rest at this point? Like how amorphous or kind of set is it? I have a full schedule. I have, I don't know, maybe 10 to 15 races on, on my schedule or on my calendar, but who knows, like some of these could get canceled and it already seems like some are moving around, but that's totally fine. I'm pretty flexible. And, uh, just kind of like 2020, like my goal for 2020 was just to race as much as I possibly could. And so that's my goal this year too. And I was, there was talk about maybe going internationally and, and racing some EWS races, but with COVID and a, a couple other reasons, I don't think I'm quite ready for it yet. I would rather focus on US racing, like in the enduro scene. Um, and then hopefully next year, uh, plan on doing EWS and hopefully COVID and everything is not an issue next year with traveling. So, so that's my focus for next year, hopefully, but this year just stay in the United States and big mountain enduro series um, there's like U.S. Open, maybe some California Enduro Series. There's a, a good number of races already on the calendar. So are you doing any nutrition work stuff these days? Because I'm worried somehow that like you're just riding a bike 20 hours a day, sleeping for four hours. And then I was like, I think we might need you to have other things happening to, to kind of create forced rest or downtimes for you yeah no i do i so i have a as i mentioned before a remote job i work for a nonprofit, and 
uh, I do that maybe four or so hours a day. So I start out my morning working for that job and then I jump on the bike for a couple hours and train. Okay. So there are some things in place in life to get you some, some downtime. Yeah, definitely. And I do want to say, okay, so I lived in the minivan for a year. That wasn't completely like planned. It just, it was meant to be extremely temporary and it was just working out for me because like I said, I just spent a lot of time outside and it just, it, I don't know, I guess it, it sounds kind of bad, but it worked out well because we traveled around to races and honestly, it's kind of what I needed to do to make mountain biking happen because I, yeah, I, I don't make a lot of money. I'm, I'm focused more on, or I didn't like, I didn't make a lot of money with that remote job. My, my plan was to work is the least amount of hours um, just to make racing happen, traveling all around. So, so in order to do that, I lived out of that minivan. <laughs> I mean, I feel like this is simply a kind of branding play or marketing play here. I mean, when you're like, Oh, I lived out of a minivan doesn't sound that sick, but I mean, hashtag van life. I mean, you're suddenly trending and super right on point. So I, I feel like there's just a subtle marketing tweak here and you know i don't i don't think you need to feel i don't think you need to feel bad about it in the least it's what it's what everybody's trying to do yeah it, no it's true it's i'm not embarrassed about it at all but i don't really want that thing to i don't want that to divide define me i don't want to be like the end girl who's homeless that sort of thing not that it's not homeless that's that's rude of me to say but um i yeah, because I wouldn't say I was very professional with it. Like I had a bike at the time that was, I had to keep my bike outside of the car. I couldn't really put it inside the van. So I didn't maintain my bike very well. And I would say I've made great strides this last year to focus more on like the professional part of myself. And and the, the van life thing isn't really, I, I don't want that to be my thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just your mango addiction. We, we should let that define you, not... Yeah. I'm, I'm proud of that. Well, I think what you've shown us is that, you know, being a professional or becoming a professional, these things, it's a step-by-step -step type of process. One day you buy the goggles and then another day you maybe spend a little bit less time in your minivan and, you know, it just, you're doing it right, I think. It's all just a process. Yeah, and something's working. Yeah, something's clearly working. Definitely having fun. That's... There's no doubt. Like, and, and all this with mountain biking, I don't have desires to be like, my goal has never been to be a professional, like to make money or be famous or anything like that. It's always like, it's, it's, there's nothing more fun to me than riding a bike and just kind of perfecting that skill and working on, yeah, just working on perfecting that. And one day, like, yeah, just to be the best I can. So that's, what's driving this whole thing. Yeah. I'm not, necessarily competitive with i don't want to crush all these other people it's more like a personal thing i just want to become as good as i can at this skill it's kind of where we started the conversation talking about obsessiveness you're kind of obsessed 100 percent. yeah i mean my like my parents they see it they <laughs> they talk about it a lot and uh, i guess they're kind of confused by me and a lot of the things i do but i would definitely say i'm obsessive <laughs> Well, hey, I should let you get going. We've uh, 
<laughs> we've actually been talking for quite a while, quite a while before we actually hit the record button, it, it turns out. So I should I should let you get back to your day. But, you know, before we let you go, we do like to ask people about their big idea. And this doesn't have to be your big idea of all time, but in this moment in time, currently, recently, what have you been thinking about? What is your current big idea? All right. I would say my big idea is that all, I think there's 5,000, 6,000 ski resorts in this world is that all, all of those become mountain bike parks. Wait, instead of you're shutting down our ski areas and, and making them only Sorry, no. take advantage of the winter or the summer months. And can you imagine if all 5,000 of those became downhill mountain bike parks in the summer? I mean, they already have the infrastructure too. They just have to put little bike, uh, what are the, bike trays on the lifts and build a couple trails. And we would have, I, I think the potential for mountain biking to grow and to, to, to get as big as skiing or bigger is, I mean, it's huge. It's huge potential for that to happen. So that would, yeah, I wouldn't be mad about this at all. I think there are a lot of ski areas that are, you know, either already introducing lift access riding or at least building trails that um, even if, if folks are, you know, pedaling. So I think one, your big idea is a good one. And two, I actually think it's already happening. Yeah. <laughs> My big idea is yeah. Your big idea. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> well, I stole this from, um, have you heard of the bike park? Crested Butte? I've heard, I have. Yeah. I've, uh, <laughs> yeah. So in the winter they do skiing oh. and it's the weirdest thing. In the summer they do biking. So I'm thinking, yeah. Yeah, we we should call this your your big idea from the year 1989. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I'm new at I'm new at all this, so I uh I have that's my excuse. But but for real, I think yeah, it's already happening, but there's not as many as there should be. So, and I think like I think these different ski results will realize how little of work they do need to put into the summer activities and then mountain biking will just continue to grow. Things are trending. Things are trending. This was super fun. Yeah, I had fun. <laughs> we uh, we did not talk about audiobooks, which you were sort of pleading with me not to ask you about. So I'm going to let you off the hook this time. But we're going to do this again. And the next time, you will not dodge the audiobook question. Okay? <laughs> okay. That's a deal. I already can't wait to do this again, because I think like what everybody has to understand having listened to your story is we're still real, real early in the story, and it's going to be really fun to follow along and see where you are in six months and a year. And I've said this before to a couple people on different conversations that we've had, but like I'm I'm for one, I'm not going to be betting against you. Ah, I love it. Yeah. No more broken bones for me. And I'm going to work on using the brakes. That's my focus. For this. I mean, you're in a really tough job because frankly, like, you know, she who lays off those things the most and doesn't crash that it's a, it's a tricky, see, like when I ride, I'm, I'll grab all the brake I want, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not on the clock. So, uh, 
you all you all are amazing in that regard. Learn how to use them a little bit, maybe just a little bit more in opportune times. Right. That's what we'll work on today. Yeah. Thanks to you. Yeah, you're welcome for that pro tip. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> but all the best to you. Yeah, I, it's a remarkable journey you've already been on, and I see no signs of this story getting any less interesting anytime soon. So kudos to you. I love it. Thank you. Yeah, I, I, I'm honored to be a part of your podcast and talking to you for the last four hours. <laughs> <I> know, <right? laughs> no, I'm kidding. But let's check back in once, uh, you know, once some of the, more of the racing is ramping up and uh, we'll check in. And I would love that, honestly. Okay. And we definitely got to get you back to CB soon. Crested View is like a special part of my heart, so I'll be back. Excellent. Hey, we'll let you get going. Good luck with everything. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Talk to you later. Well, that's it for this edition of Bikes and Big Ideas. I want to say thanks to Kara for the conversation. Thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing this episode. And thanks to you for listening. From all of us here in Gunnison and Crested Butte, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. And we will talk to you again real soon. <laughs>